Thank you for listening to Bluebells Forever podcast. I'm your host, Sherry Lewis. Thank you so much for listening to this, and I hope you're enjoying these stories from these wonderful, wonderful people. And what I have loved is doing the Circle Back series where I get to go back and have more time with these people. I just never have enough time in the interview that you hear. And so part two, we get to go back and hear more and also just find out what they've been doing since we last did the interview. So these are on the patron for Patreons only. And the way you become a patron is a subscription each month. And there's an option of $5, which just helps the work to keep going with some of the costs that we have. $10 a month gives you two extra bonus interviews a month. And so far, what I've already had on there is Liz Elliott, Hilary Sukanos, Pete Menefee, Athena Pataxel, Billy Goodson, Alexandra Yaretska, Adrian Lapeltier, and coming up in June, Leslie Bandy and Christopher Nunez. In July, coming up, we have Michelle Brown Jennings. So you have access to all of these episodes that only are for the patrons, and that is by subscribing. So I will put a link in the show notes, so if you are interested in hearing more of these stories and supporting Bluebells Forever, please feel free and enjoy this interview coming up. Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So welcoming to Bluebells Forever podcast, I have Stephanie Lawton. So hello, Stephanie. Hi. (laughs) So we, this is the fun thing of being in these shows that run for so long. And Hello, Hollywood, Hello didn't run anywhere near as long as Jubilee. Like 11 years is a really long time for a show. But like Jubilee was 35. But did you go to the Hello, Hollywood, Hello reunion? um, Maybe it was three years ago. Oh, yes. I went to two of the reunions and then another lunch and we had... um... For Sue Hain, I, I drove just for the day from California to Vegas just to see everyone. I love going to the reunions. I didn't even know they existed until Facebook group. Somebody tagged me in a photo and asked, this because my name was Sherry Pennington. I'm like, I've never seen this photo. And then I found this group and I was, this actually, actually was started me this whole thing about wanting to do the podcast. Like this whole thing started to show up in my memory again. Like, wait, this was special. But at the reunion, I talked to people that were in the show and they were not the same year, but I felt like we were all in the show at the same time, which is not possible in the 11 year run because you were maybe four or five years after me, but it still feels like, well, we were in the same show, not the same time. It's like a tribe. It is. It's so much that way. And I, and I found that there's people I was in the show at the same time that I didn't know because our dressing rooms are far away. We never pass on stage. Like you can be in the show and still not know everybody. So it felt like, okay, either way, we all did this amazing show. Uh, so yay hello Hollywood hello uh, fellow dancer so I would love to hear because we talked a little bit before and I was already like oh yes we have to get this part and this part because I just loved how you had a mindset very early on that you were going to be a dancer so if you would just share like how even dance came into your world because it's not always in everybody's you know view that there's such a thing yes uh, my mother didn't have a car. We lived in Seattle, Washington, and my dad would take the car to work. In those days, people usually had one car in the family. And we took the bus and my mother pointed out the window and I was, I was two years old and I still remember it. And she said, when you turn three, you're going to get to go there for your dance lessons. And that was Miss Tapping School of Dance. 
And I just was so excited. And I thought to myself, good, because I've got to get training. I've got to take my classes. I'm going to be a professional dancer and I have to get into class. And that's how I felt at that age. I always knew this was what I was going to do. And um, I couldn't wait to get started. And I would even in the morning, get up at six in the morning and turn on, we had a little black and white TV, Lilius Yoga and You, and I'd put on black leotard and try to look like her and get the chair and I would do the yoga with her. And I ended up getting very into yoga and teaching yoga and having a studio. So it's funny, I knew very early on. I'm just trying to think because I have early memories, but there's maybe one little one here or there. Like I, I can remember being seven and starting ballet, but I'm trying to picture a two-year-old um, that knew that because Natalie O'Hayan, I interviewed her and she said it too. She knew she was going to dance in Paris. I'm like, I didn't know what Paris was. Like, it's it just kind of like, what kind of ma- a mind that is already ready to receive this or to know I think it's like there's the a soul, person. Sherry. I, I think it's yeah. the soul, the soul and the heart. They know these things and my mother was very into dance. Um, she got married young and so she didn't become a dancer, but she still took classes and she, she loved it. So fortunately she started me young and um, she told me there was a mother cause I had a real big tummy and there was a mother that they would watch and my mother would write down all the steps. She was a real perfectionist and she took perfect notes and would have me practice every day. And um, the, the mother next to her would say, when is your daughter going to lose her baby fat? And my mother said, you know, that made me so damn mad because she, she <laughs> my mother was the anorexic and I ended up having a very lean body. But as a little girl, I had a real big tummy and did have the, the baby fat at that age. Because <laughs> that's when you're supposed to have it. Oh, my gosh. I want to send a picture of you in your showgirl days to that mother. Like, OK, it's gone. Look at this flat belly and this body that got me hired. Well, you know, wow. I have a picture at three and I remember that costume was so itchy and it had a big, huge bow and it just accentuated my tummy. tummy. So my mom said very tactfully, she said she took a picture like that and then she said, let's turn around and show the bow. So she had me turn around and, and then you couldn't see. I looked much better from the back in the costume and uh, oh. I still have those pictures. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There's to be some grace for those kid bodies. Do you remember walking into your first class? Like no. When you, found, you don't remember that. Do you, what do you remember, like your memories of actually getting to finally get in there? Did you start with ballet or, or the whole ballet? I saw, tap in those jet? days, we had combination classes that were 20 minutes of tap, 20 minutes of ballet. Well, they called it ballet and 20 minutes of mat work, which I think are great for little wow. kids. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to think as far as remembering classes, I don't remember the classes in Seattle. And then I got into gymnastics and I had this amazing coach, Margaret Morrison and Julia McNamara was the star of our team. And Julia went to the Olympics and won the silver medal and she would would have won the gold. It was the year after Nadia was the big star. And she even was, you know, recruited to go train with Bella Caroli. And being around Julianne, Julianne had master energy and I always liked to walk by her because I could feel it. It was like this electricity. And she was really hardworking and really focused and very hard on herself. She would burst into tears because her routines were so hard. She was the only class one gymnast on the team. And I realized at that age, 
I wanted to go to the Olympics, but there's no way, you know, Julianne was going, there's no way I was going. And I started thinking, well, I wonder what I could do. Maybe I could be a tap dancer because that comes easily to me and you don't have to be flexible. So I wasn't flexible. So I did end up having my greatest success as a tap dancer. And I figured that out around nine. I went and saw my, my best friend, Karen was doing a recital, Mary Poppins, and she invited me to come see it. And I saw this recital and felt like, to me, it was like Broadway. You know, I was so excited, the music. And so we signed me up and I wanted to be in her class, but I had to audition for Mr. Kirkpatrick at Kirkpatrick's Dance Studio in San Mateo. And I, uh, my mom coached me, remember all the steps, you know, and he said I could be in Karen's class because I could do all the steps. And then he and his daughter trained me. It was a small studio, a Chiquetti studio. And um, my dad would only, as I got older at 13, one of the assistants, Doreen Kiyohara, took me aside and she said, you know, Stephanie, you're a really good dancer, but you have to take ballet. And I said, well, I hate ballet. And she said, well, you really need to take ballet. Um, so at 13, I had to go in with the nine-year-olds and mm. um, take beginning because everything was graded. So Mrs. Marcelli, that ballet teacher, made me an assistant which was very kind of her. And that way I didn't feel so embarrassed because I wore a skirt and demonstrated in front with her. Um, and then I turned out she really liked me as an assistant and so did her father. So they had me assist everything like all day long. I was working sometimes from three in the afternoon and staying till nine at night because my dad said, I'll pay for 50 bucks a month. That's what soccer costs. He said, I'm not gonna buy costumes. I'll buy one costume. He said, so I had to finance everything from 13 because I wanted to be a wow. dancer. And I did. I went to Capizio and they liked me. So they started letting me kind of work there, but I wasn't old enough. So they would pay me like, and here's a pair of tights. Or, <laughs> and they taught me to write receipts. And um, they called me the mascot. I would go get them lunch or go to the post office and mail the packages. And so I, I was learning business and, and all these people would do that for me. Um, I had a babysitting business. Um, I was booked solid and the mothers liked me. So they'd recommend me to all the other mothers. So I was very busy and yeah. um, I would clean houses. I would clean ovens. I would fold laundry, clean toilets, anything to pay for my dance classes. So th that made me very hardworking. Yeah. Wow. That says a lot, you know, cause I think some girls just get put in there because like, well, it's what you do. You start ballet and then they don't want to do it or I'll try this thing or I'll try that thing until they find what it is. But also like when it's hard, a lot of people are like, nah, I don't like it anymore. So you were so driven. But I think of that two-year-old, there was that soul pull. Well, and also, you know, my mother had some very serious addiction. She was alcoholic. She was in the era where they were prescribing Valium and codeine to women who were depressed. So she was getting three different prescriptions from three different doctors delivered all day long and is taking all these pills. So it's very difficult to be around her because she could be like Joan Crawford. She would just go off at the slightest thing. So ballet gave me the structure and music and encouragement and um, hope, you know, and oh. it's just like in chorus line, you know, and it got me out of the house because my mother was so unpredictable and just volatile. So, um, I would go home from school and she was a great cook. Everything she did, she did perfectly. She made 
beautiful dinners and she would cook them early for me because I had to leave. So it was nice. She'd have it all ready and say, eat your dinner now. Because um, what I would do is I'd stop at the liquor store and buy all this candy and just stuff my face with sugar. I mean, like four or five different things before ballet class every day. Um, but at least she was making good meals. And then I'd come home and eat another dinner. She, my dad would save it for me on the stove. And so I learned to eat good, real food um, instead of, you know, McDonald's or chips. Um, and then I started to develop a really tight physique from all that work. I was, you know, working six <sighs> hours a day. <laughs> you, were, you were living an adult life pretty young like kind of working to get your, what you needed and the hard, the drive to do excellent. Did your mom say why she put you in, into dance? Was it kind of her own, like what she used to do or she wanted to see you get something out of it? Do you know why she did it? Um, she loved it. You know, she, she, uh, I think she would have liked to have been a dancer herself, but in those days, and she was very smart. I think my mother was a genius in retrospect. Um, just because everything my mother did I would notice, I used, my perception of her as a child was like, she's, and I don't mean this in a bitchy way, but it's just as a child, when I saw, I thought she's thinner than all the other mothers, but that was kind of an extreme. Now that I'm older, I realized that was not very healthy. She seemed prettier than everybody to me. And she, um, her food, the meals we had were like four seasons quality. Her house looked like Saks Fifth Avenue. I mean, everything she did, she just blew me out of the water. She was, and my grandma said that when she was a little girl, if she couldn't do something perfectly or she didn't pick it up right away, she wouldn't do it. So did she, did she expect perfection from you? Sorry, we're going into oh, yeah. stuff. I didn't oh, plan yeah. that. And, um, and I've been criticized that way. People say, oh, well, Stephanie, you're a perfectionist. And I always think I feel so messy. I don't feel that at all because I could never meet the standard of my mother. I mean, I don't know. I still don't know how she did it. She cleaned her house all day long. In those days, a lot of housewives drove themselves nuts trying to be perfect. The whole Donna Reed thing, yeah. you know, and look perfect. They, you know, they were all dressed up and, um, and their children had to be perfect. And my mother had four children, three boys, and, you know, that, that's a lot of work and a lot of mess. And um, so, yeah, she did, she did expect a lot, but we didn't know any different. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Like some of the drive, like some of it's ours, some of someone else, but it, it, you have this wonderful career from it. But I, yeah, when you go, do I ever reach perfection by their standard or mine? Because I mean, the business that we're in is to be judged by your body and like you have to audition if somebody gets better than you might. So, I mean, we're already held to that high standard. So for some people it helps them. And for some, it's like, that's just a repetition of what it was. I have to be the very, very best. Did you well, or your mother? Well, yeah, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I, would hear I think say. it helped me because it is very competitive dance. And because I was training so many hours and I had this gymnastics training, I mean, those, those workouts were killer. When I first switched, I decided to quit gymnastics because I could see that I wasn't that good at it. Sometimes I I'd place like fourth or fifth if I was lucky. And the ballet is what I needed. And I'll never forget, um, my gymnastic coach put her daughter in pre-ballet and I happened to be the assistant. And she'd never been that interested in me because she had Julianne, you know, who was going to the Olympics. When she saw me helping in the pre-ballet class, she sat up and she smiled like she was so excited. And I went, okay, I'm supposed to dance because 
I'd never seen her look at me that way. And um, so for me, it helped me because people started to respond. And, you know, you're looking at yourself in the mirror every day. And I couldn't believe what it was doing for my body. Um, it makes you feel more beautiful. The music is beautiful. Mm. The, the girls were all beautiful and we were all really good friends. And I loved being there. And all that teaching experience, they gave me my own class really young. I think at 13, I had my own tap class with four students. They gave me a small class and, um, and the kids did really well. So, so I was getting confident, you know, even in school, the teachers would always have me help. Like Stephanie, so-and-so is absent. You write down, you know, her homework and take it to her. I was always treated as an assistant. And I ended up when I got older, assisting some really incredible choreographers, but I had been raised that way. Yeah, that's the person who pays attention to detail and you're not trying to like step over other people to get to the top. That's it. Oh, so did you have your sights on becoming a professional dancer or, you know, you're loving it, but were you thinking, okay, what happens after high school, you know, oh, yes. college? Oh, um, I, my brother was a juvenile delinquent. So I felt kind of sorry for my parents because he was very smart, but he would do things like get an A in French six and an A in calculus and then flunk all the other classes on purpose. And they were annoyed with his behavior and he was, you know, egging people's houses and he, he was just doing everything you don't want your son to do. He was the oldest. And I went the opposite way. I got good grades and I learned very early. If you follow the rules and are conscientious, you, you know, teachers will like you and, and your life will be much better. So um, we were just opposite, but my dad wanted me to go to college and my middle brother wasn't a great student and I was a good student. And I would get up at five in the morning to do my homework because I was too tired at night to do it. I just would break down um, and I would do my homework then. So and he, even at that age, I started to feel a real spiritual connection. I think it came from the ballet. And I felt like at five in the morning, and that's when skaters would skate, you know, and swimmers would swim. Yeah. That there was this, I was receiving this spiritual help with my homework. And um, so I didn't have any interest in being in college. I really wanted to drop out of high school and join the circus or something. I, I just hated going to school, but I made myself go because I felt bad for my parents with my brother. And, and we had to have a B average to be on scholarship. They gave me a scholarship at the dance studio. And so I had good grades. I think I had a 3.85, um, but I didn't like going. And, uh, but I had a couple friends, you know, so I, I don't know, it was awkward, like most people in school, <laughs> but I knew I wanted to dance and I made a deal with my dad because I took one of those aptitude tests when computers first came out and I said, I wanted to be a dancer and I asked to answer all these questions and they're all, there's all this paper rolling through and the counselor said to me, well, the, here's the, here are the results and I was excited to read it and it said that I should be a garbage collector or a mailman. Because, <laughs> because it said Broadway dancers, you only, they only hire the top 1%. So there's little to no chance of you becoming a dancer. But, you know, I'd be good in the garbage field or um, a mail carrier because I like to work on my own and I like to be outside. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm so curious what questions get you to that. Wow. That's encouraging. <laughs> but I knew I wanted to dance and... Uh, so, but all those things, really the, I think working young was great. And I also had a caterer who lived 
around the corner. She was French and she hired me as her assistant. And my mom had taught me to cook and I had kind of taught myself to bake. Um, and I loved cooking and baking. I did that all the time. So she would pay me well and she'd give me a beautiful meal with, you know, set the table with a, a vase with a flower. She treated me like gold and I would do all the dishes and serve and, you know, pour the coffee and, and, and she told me what to do. And then the ladies that were at the dinners would say, well, who's this girl? Who's your system? I want, you know, I want her to come do a party at my house and bring her. So I, I just, that happened a lot. Uh, you know, I think maybe partly my mom was so frustrated. And I think part of that was she was a very creative, talented woman and cleaning the house all day just was not cutting it for her. And she was having affairs. She was like unbelievable that way. I mean, it was so humiliating. She was sleeping with other people's husbands and the, you know, the soccer coach and the, this guy and the gardener. And I, I'm, but that's how people were, would act that out, you know, um, and getting away with it. And she wasn't alone. She wasn't the only one living that lifestyle. So it was a relief to be around these other women that really liked me and, and, you know, uh, weren't frustrated because she would vent that rage at me. Um, but that prepared me for some of the, some of the business experiences that can come along because I'd grown up that way. Wow. It was just, yeah, for you to be able to get out and be your own person sounds wonderful. And I don't know, like we talked earlier, like if there's no support, did you have people saying, yes, Stephanie, you can do this. But it didn't sound like from what we talked earlier, you had people as your champion to say, you got this. Not not really until I got to MGM. Let's talk about that. Like, how did you get there? Like, what made you decide to even audition or know about these shows? Because that's a huge step. It was actually... Before I went to MGM, I, I moved to Santa Monica. That was instrumental because I had a friend I'd met at a Chiquetti seminar and I was getting these ballet scholarships and I was always surprised. They'd pick one girl and one runner up and I won like three years in a row, either the scholarship or runner up. And I was writing a check at 13 for my seminar too, because anything I wanted to do point shoes, I had to fund it, you know? So I think they noticed this is the girl with the checking account, you know, because most <laughs> other, all the other kids, their parents are writing the checks. But um, I liked it. It made me feel powerful. It made me feel savvy. And uh, like I was ahead of my friends, you know, and I made yeah. money. I People thought I was going to be really rich someday because I made a lot of money with all those jobs. So um Anyway, I went to this school for the summer session, Westside Ballet, and Yvonne Mounsey and Rosemary Valere were the two ballet teachers. And they right away started giving me stuff too. Like um, Yvonne said, you should come back and you should, um, you know, so I rented a room and I was working at McDonald's at four in the morning, which I, I thought was really fun and eating McDonald's and started gaining weight because it's so bad for you. <laughs> Then they said, you don't have to work at McDonald's. She said, here. And she gave, started giving me classes to teach. And this studio had these amazing teachers. They were all from big ballet companies. I mean, we had like Goldie Hawn would come pick up her daughter. And Michael Kidd and Sheila Kidd would come pick their, up their daughter. And um, Charles Bronson would come in. I mean, it was like a revolving door of these show business stars. And I was 17 and they were giving me classes to teach like the pre-ballet and then they gave me the jazz and the tap. 
So I felt like a star. I mean, I was working with these principals from New York City Ballet and Royal Ballet. But see, my training had prepared me for that. They didn't have tap and jazz. So even though I wasn't that good in ballet, I would take the intermediate classes and I never asked like, can I be in advance? Can I do this? And I didn't even want to be in the Nutcracker because I didn't feel like I was good enough. Those girls were really good at ballet and I knew I wasn't on their level, but they were, we were all really good friends. And so I auditioned for the Rockettes. I was 17 and they hired me and then they made a mistake. They had too many girls. So we had to do it again. It was three days of audition at the Shrine um, Auditorium. And I panicked and we did the combination. I made a mistake and they said, okay, you're an alternate and you're an alternate. And we had gotten measured and everything. They had contracts out. So that was kind of devastating. Oh. Yvonne, the director said, don't worry. She said, just keep auditioning. They'll hire you, you'll see. So then I saw an audition for Hello Hollywood and in the backstage, I think it was, or the one of those. Um, and I knew this, this dancer, Patty, Davis, because Rosemary had all these ballet people come over for dinner and I would help her cook dinner and serve and do dishes like <laughs> make the coffee. And um, so Patty knew John Paul and Greg Ladowski. She said, you should audition for the MGM, Stephanie. Um, so she gave me Neil Leatham's phone number, said, call my friend Neil Leatham. And he was so nice. He didn't know me, but everyone loved Patty. She, I think she'd been a principal in ABT and she was so sweet. And so he told me what to wear. He said, wear, you know, don't wear fishness. He said, wear tan tights and a leotard, slick your hair back and don't wear stage makeup. Don't wear lashes, just wear nice makeup. I did everything he said. He said, if you, if you do that and you have good ballet training, they'll hire you. And they did. I, I drove myself to Vegas and, um, or maybe I flew and I stood, I stayed at the mini price motor and he even told me where to stay and told me to take a cab, you know, he coached me on the whole thing. And, um, and then I, I did the audition at in Vegas. And I remember I, I was very lost, like I had trouble picking it up, I could follow but I didn't really have it. And I was kind of surprised they even hired me because I felt like I didn't do it perfectly. <laughs> um, but they did. And then I ended up, you know, meeting John Paul and uh, Greg and taking ballet with them and the whole thing. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed how many times I'm shaking my head. Like when I'm listening, to, I'm shaking my head. I'm dropping my jaw. I'm actually having tears. I'm having a very, I'm paying attention to my reaction to people's stories. Aww. I'm so in awe because all of us had our journey. We worked hard, but just to hear, I don't know. I'm shaking my head. Like what? You drove yourself here. You were had a paycheck. I'm so in awe of the younger you. And I'm feeling the sadness because there's a lot of things we do to kind of get out of a hard situation or like, you know, family life is whatever it is for all of us. But out of that, I'm so in awe of your fortitude, your drive. I just had to say, I've never really had to pause in the middle of someone's interview and go, what? Yeah, there's just such something so beautiful that drive. And I think it is, I feel the pain underneath it just a little bit. I don't want to interject that on you, but it just feels like there's this beautiful desire to do what you want and you've got to work damn hard to get there to get maybe in a better situation. And it's so beautiful. So I just oh, want to take yeah. a pause. Oh, and just thank go, you. Wow. Well, you know, what I noticed, the girls that um, seem to have it easy, what I've learned with age is nobody really has it easy. Um, right, it might right. look that way, but uh, that had more naturally or they got free classes because their mom was, you know, the owner. 
um, they didn't have the same, I was used to rejection. So it didn't bother me to not get a job. I would go to take class and go back the next day. And a lot of those girls are the star of their studio. When you, you, they go to New York or LA and they don't get hired, they can't take it because they were given a solo in every number and you know, they, they weren't prepared. But I, had, I could see um, you know, that I wasn't good enough to go to the Olympics. <laughs> I have these lofty goals, you know, but, um, but I had the intelligence to recognize when I was good enough and when I wasn't good enough. And, um, and so, and then how to cover, you know, like I told you earlier, because I wasn't flexible and I found out later that I had hip dysplasia and juvenile arthritis, which that explains I was very stiff. I couldn't touch my toes. I, in gymnastics, I couldn't even sit in a straddle with a straight back. I had a brown humped back and I, I really looked arthritic because I was, and my tailbone was always aching. And I, I told my gymnastics coach, I, I used to watch Lawrence Welk every weekend and I loved Arthur Duncan. I ended up dancing with him later in life, but wow. um, yeah. And, and I would learn all the steps and, and um, practice and figure it out next to the TV. And they had these, these commercials for Geritol and, I, and, and commercials for arthritis. And that's what it is. You know, I've got arthritis. That's what's wrong with me. And I'm like, you know, 10 when I'm figuring this out. But I was right. You're right. Wow. Yeah. And my, my yeah, coach said, no, you can't. I told my coach and he said, no, you can't have arthritis, Stephanie. You're too young to have arthritis. Go do the round offs, you know, go do the flip flops. But my back could not bend. Yeah, it sounds like you've had an inner knowing at a young age. Like you knew things that, that had to be verified later by adults that you already knew. Yeah, I had an intuition um, and my mother was that way. And then as I became a yoga teacher and ballet teacher, it turned into diagnostic abilities. I would watch my students and they come up and ask me something. I'd say, well, I see this, this and this. And they'd go to the doctor and they come back and say, the doctor told me everything exactly that you said. And this happened over and over in my yoga classes. And, um, and I didn't really even know I was doing it because that's our work. We watch people all day. And when you've had to struggle because you don't have natural extension or high archy feet or flexibility, you learn how to, for me, I learned, I had natural line. And what I learned was, and I, because of my proportions and I had very good training, I could look like a really good dancer if I was just posing, but, you know, start jumping or something. And then the coordination or the flexibility would get in the way. But as far as the pictures, I always was the one in the pictures, you know, because I could match the line of the choreographer and I could just camouflage my weaknesses because they were really severe. And in TAP, you didn't have to be flexible. And I just happened to be very musical and uh, have a real natural ability in tap dancing that was just kind of, I was born with it. Wow. Well, let's talk about coming into Hello Hollywood. Like you didn't feel like you aced your audition, but you got in there. What were rehearsals like for you? Cause you came in as a replacement, I'm assuming. Cause you came in the show had already been running for a while. Yes, there were about 11 of us, I think, that came in and I almost didn't go because um, Jillian came up to me after the audition and she was smiling. And I remember thinking, oh, look at this glamorous woman. Um, you know, she's so, so pretty and she had so much energy and she looked like she had good news. And she said, lovey, I'm going to bring you up to Reno. And I didn't know where Reno was. And um, she said, because uh, I was only, 
I'm five foot seven and three quarters. So I really was too short to be a bluebell. And at that time, the bluebells were about 5'11", most of them. But she said, uh, I've got my dance captain and you are the same exact size. And I'm going to put one of you on each end as bookends. And she looked so pleased with herself. And it was so nice of her because really I was too short and I didn't want to go topless. So, um, you know, I was right size for a pony, not a bluebell. And then I told my dad and he had said, well, if you can support yourself, you can be a dancer. But he wanted me to go to Stanford. And um, I always felt like he wanted to brag to his friends because he wasn't, he was a very excellent businessman, my dad, but he wasn't a very good student. And so, but I just didn't want to do it. So I said, okay, you know, and I always was able to support myself because I had been working since I was- You already so knew how. Yeah, you got um, that down. I was turning down work. You know, I couldn't do everything that people offered me. I was house sitting in the Palisades in these gorgeous homes, you know, and um, just, I had really great connections in Santa Monica, thanks to Yvonne and Rosemary. And um, so I told my dad, um, I, I, I left Yvonne and Rosemary's and I went to my parents in San Mateo and my dad said, well, do you have your contract? And I said, no. And he said, well, you better call and find out, you know, when, when you're leaving in a couple of days, he said, call her. So I called Jillian. Hi, um, I was just wondering, I, I didn't receive my contract. And she said, well, you know, if I find a girl who's 5'11 and gorgeous, I'm gonna have to hire her. And I said, oh no, oh. I quit my job. I had left my place. I, I had given, you know, I thought that I had the job. I didn't even know you needed a contract because I never had one. I'd right. always just been hired verbally. So, but it's a good thing. My dad, you know, he's very, um, he was an excellent salesman and he had his own business later in life. And if he hadn't have told me to call her, I wouldn't have even known to call. And she might've hired someone else. But after I called her, she um, sent the contract like overnight. And it was this thick, do you remember those thick, thick pages and pages? <laughs> um, and I signed it and I think I FedExed it back and um, got in my, I had a Volkswagen convertible and I got in that car and drove up to Reno. Wow. Wow. So started how, rehearsal. Yeah. And how was, did you feel like you picked up the rehearsals? Okay. Cause auditions yeah, are going to be a I very did. different pressure. I did very well. Surprisingly. Um, but I've been taking, you know, Santa Monica was great because I was taking classes from Denon Rawls and he was the choreographer for the movie Stan Alive. And he would bring me front like his, you know, they would all bring me in front like their assistant. So that was great for my mind. And, um, I was around people much better than I was. Anne Reinking would come in and rehearse. I mean, I could watch all these people. And Yvonne came up to me when Anne Reinking was practicing. And she said, now you watch her. She said, because that's what you're going to do. And um, so that's when I started getting encouraged. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to listen to my mom and my ballet teacher. I'm going to listen to, you know, this woman was a principal with City Ballet and Ballet Russe. She was a star. Mm. And she said, that's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to listen to her. Right. Thank God that comes yeah. up a lot like the voices that we listen to yeah because like we I don't know if you said it before we in, it recorded or after but when people say you can't do it some people say no I can't and some people say I'll show you and you're on that yeah. side of it yeah well because see when I was at uh, Kirkpatrick's the studio owner wanted me to take over the studio and she even had a meeting with my parents. She came to our home. They didn't tell me anything about it. She had all the financials and she showed my father. It was like an arranged marriage. Um, and she wanted <laughs> me to take over all those classes. I mean, it was like so much work and she wanted to retire. And she thought my dad would have the money to buy the studio and she could get out. 
nobody even asked me if that's what I wanted to do. So, um, but she had told, and I said to her, well, I want to be a dancer at the studio. And she said, you're not going to be a dancer. You're going to be a teacher. Julie will be the dancer. And Julie was her daughter, her stepdaughter. And oh. Julie was really good at ballet. She went to San Francisco ballet school. She went to um, SAB. She was far better at ballet than I was. Um, but the ironic thing was, Julie did become a dancer, but she couldn't do ballet because she had, at the time, a very large bust and she was had a voluptuous body. Her body changed and she became really lean after she had kids. She ended up being the dance captain for Cats on Broadway. Oh, wow. But, um, so, but see, our teacher didn't want me to be a dancer and, and um, tried to make me think that I wasn't good enough to be a dancer. And then my mother said the same thing. She said, Stephanie, you know, you're good, but you're not that good. And she was drunk at the time. She was always drunk. I'd come home and she was either passed out or drunk and raging. So I took that with a grain of salt. And um, when I would be in class, I would just have this drive like, oh, you, you just wait. I'm going to be a Rockette. I'm going to do Broadway. You just wait. I'll show you. And it made me more determined. And then when I went to LA, this choreographer, Shirley Kirks, who was very big at the time, she was choreographing Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, all the Steve Martin films. Um, and she had been in, uh, I think, Hallelujah Hollywood in um, one of those shows as a principal. And she right away grabbed me as her assistant and didn't want me to take jazz from anyone else or tap from anyone else but her. And she really had her hooks in. And um, it concerned me because I should have been taking class from all those people. And she, I, I felt like she wouldn't let me, you know? Mm. So my Rosemary, the one from World Ballet said to me, Stephanie, she said, she's got her hooks in you. She said, um, and Rosemary said to me, she watched me do some choreography on the kids. And I had all these kids in their school and I did sort of a Rockette style number with them. She said, Stephanie, you're wonderful. She said, you'll be on Broadway someday. She said, no, she said, you'll be choreographing Broadway shows someday. And I was, it was so sweet of her because she coached Barishnikov, Makarova. She was like the top LA ballet coach. So when they told me they thought I would make it, I just was like, okay, then I'm going to listen to them. Right. Forget these other people. <sighs> yeah. Because well, Shirley we had told me, you should work behind the scenes. You should be like my secretary. She said, but you shouldn't be on stage. You should work behind the scenes. And you can do both. Well, I had no desire at 17 to work behind the scenes, you know, right, no. and she wanted me to call all the dancers and tell them they got the job, you know, and um, learn all the choreography, but not do it, you know, and when you're 17 uh, years old, it kills the heart. The dancers, they didn't want some 17 year old as the dance captain, you know what I mean? Um, they were like 30. And they were looking at me like, how come you're her assistant? They were sort of um, envious that she picked me. But I think it was all meant to be somehow because she was a phenomenal tapper and her stuff was so intricate. She was another genius. I was around a lot of genius energy. Now looking mm. back, she was a black belt in karate and um, same thing. Like she, she was Lebanese and she could cook. Like it was again, like my, kind of like my mom, you know, she was uh, so good at all those things. And, um, and she'd been so successful. She had a resume a mile long. So just being around her and learning all her stuff and she'd have me videotape her and um, so she could study it. Then when I got to Hello Hollywood, I could pick up like lightning because I had 
you know, I've been doing this all day long and all night long and with um, people that were really demanding. So but it I sounds like, stuff. yeah, and also you learn how to watch detail. Cause if you're an assistant, like I think some people, they think they're seeing what's being taught, but they're not really pe- paying attention to nuance and detail. And those dancers that observe just, it's such a difference. They're like, no, my arms here. Like have some people have to be told a few times because they're missing it. And some people are like, oh, I already got that. I've already corrected that. I've already seen, like, I just feel like there's a different kind of dancer that usually goes further because they don't have to be told every single thing. They see it. They're taking note and being an assistant, you've got that well, eye. Listening to every correction, you're writing everything down. Um, that was one of my secrets. I would write down all my corrections, uh, write down everyone else's corrections and memorize. And then, and as I got older, I try to remember every combination, you know, I'd always do these mind games with myself, but you, it's a muscle, your memory. So the more you do that and, and choreographer, excuse me, choreographers, they can spot that immediately. So, and they would always like, Stephanie, what did I do? I, and then as I got older, I really struggled with jazz, certain styles. I just couldn't get it, you know, but if it were, was ballet or tap or Fosse, Fosse felt like so natural to me, yeah. um, then I could get it. But Hello Hollywood dancing, um, that I loved and there was no problem, you know, and Linda Ennis was such a great teacher and Rosita Cordo was our captain. And um, that went beautifully. I was just, I remember Rosita watched us do blue sleeves and she said to me, well, you, she said, you're just having a ball, aren't you? Cause I was just like, I don't have to go to school. I don't have to go home. <laughs> I don't have to go to college. I was just like so ecstatic and I'm making money and I'm on stage. I mean, I just, to me, it was just a dream come true. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I, Cause some of it is like, I get to just like, I also don't have to do this. That's a huge, that's beautiful. Do you remember what it felt like? Because some people like, they get there, but some people like performing. Some people love performing. Where are you in that? Because some oh, people like, I like rehearsals more than performing, which that doesn't really work in our business. You have to love performing somewhat. Oh, I love performing, but I love rehearsing and practicing too. And um, I was always practicing. I remember, and that was, I, I was one of those people that I knew because of my kind of handicaps, the way I would again, make up for it is I would practice like 10 times as much as everyone else. I was always on that stage practicing between shows. I would go take class. I would do the first, I would go in early and warm up, I do my tap, all my tap exercises. I would do the show. Then I would, um, and I would listen to Carol Channing in the bathroom and study her or, you know, and why is she funny? Why is this? Cause I, I was so in awe of her. Um, I would watch Liz Elliott, you know, what is she doing with her eyes? How does she make it look so fresh? She's been here since they opened. I was always watching and learning. And um, then between shows, I would practice again. Fred Booth and I were dance partners and we would practice and we had goals. We wanted to do Broadway shows um, and then, you know, do the second show. So I was a real workhorse. Cause there used, I don't know if it was still happening when you were there, but in between shows, we had two hours there would be so many classes on that giant yeah. stage and you could pick like, oh, there's African over there. I could take tap. I could take ballet. And it was great because people could have music and we still had enough space to not hear each other. To me, that was one of the gems of that show is you have that two hours. You could just go eat or rest. But I think so many people took advantage. Like we have some of the most amazing teachers in the show with us. Yes. And, and it was free. I don't know if we ever paid anything, but I, was it still going on? Oh yeah. And I love that. I, um, I would do, I love Michael Shepard's jazz. Um, I'm trying to think, 
I loved all of that. And I did those classes. I thought they were a blast. And Eddie Armandizo was teaching. Um, and then also I was doing, you know, we used to do these sideshows that it was Mr. G's, I think. So I was always doing those with Fred. Um, and then I got to do some other side stuff. We did Chorus Line and I got to do Juliet Prouse's act. Um, Maggie recommended me for that. So I would practice those things and Suzanne Summers act, I would practice every night. Um, I remember one time I was practicing Suzanne Summers number because I needed to, I didn't have work when I went to New York. The only shows on Broadway, this was, I had done a national tour of my one and only after leaving MGM. And when it closed, uh, we went back to New York. Well, the only two shows on Broadway at the time were Black and Blue, which is an all black show and Jerome Robbins Broadway. And I got on file for Jerome Robbins Broadway, but I didn't get hired. Jerry Mitchell wanted me and uh, Cynthia Onrubia didn't. And then Jerry Mitchell became this big director. And so if he'd had to say back then, but it didn't happen. So I called Jillian and she said, well, lovey, I need one more girl. So she let me come back and I did Suzanne's act, which was incredible. Uh -huh. Okay, so I have so many questions. So I wanted, because you mentioned Maggie and she shows up in a lot of people's, the Hello Hollywood cast yeah. of how, because I think some people get to that professional level and don't think, you know, maybe I don't need to train anymore. And some people kept training and got better as they're professional. Like you've already reached the goal and now like you get better within it because those classes on the stage or, and Maggie was really instrumental for a lot of dancers getting even above that. Like you get to use that time in the show to keep getting better. Because if you just do the show, your body gets so used to the same thing. Your mind isn't challenged. But I'm really impressed with how many dancers were there regularly taking ballet. And Maggie had like Nutcracker. I don't know if you performed in that, but how, because it felt like a lot of people knew. Once you get in the show, everybody knew, go take it, Maggie Banks. But yeah, I love gem. Maggie Banks. Um, I, I went there right away. There again, you know, I, ne I never felt like I was that good at ballet. And Maggie was so exceptional that I felt a bit self-conscious in her class because I wanted to be so much better, but you know, there was only so much I could do, but I went and I was a regular and, um, and sometimes she would get frustrated with me because like, I remember I was in an arabesque and my back was all hunched, you know, and she's like, Stephanie, you know, like, like she, she didn't understand that she, she had everything for ballet. And I, you know, I just could not arch my back in an arabesque. And, um, but when she saw me in the show and saw me do, you know, the other styles, then she re realized, oh, well, she's a musical theater. And she came and saw a chorus line. She um, picked people out of the show for Juliet Prowse's act and she picked me and she took me aside and said, Stephanie, um, I'm gonna bring Juliet in and David Chavez is gonna choreograph this. And she offered it to me without an audition. And thank God I took all those ballet classes feeling so, you know, I felt was really at the bottom of the class, but I still went because I knew it would make me a better dancer. I loved the music, I loved her. I loved all the pictures on the wall and I would just look at all her pictures and think, this is what I wanna do. And she ended up really being instrumental in my career because we kept in touch by letters and um, I worked with Julia like five other times and they were best friends. So every time I do a show with Juliet, Maggie would fly in and come back and say, hi, Steph, you know, and uh, so, and she had told me when she saw Chorus Line, um, I don't remember if I told you this already, 
but she said she came backstage and we were in the wardrobe area and she said Steph stood out like a sore thumb she said you should go to New York and I was like wow because I she was my you know I just worshipped her and I didn't know if I was good enough to go to New York and I'd heard all these stories how hard it was and I didn't know anybody there and how expensive it was but when she said I should then it gave me the confidence to to try two people that you said like Julia Prowse and Anne Rankin those are the ones I looked up as like the goddesses of the dance world and so like I'm just like the way that you've been kind of brought into the fold of that is just like these are my like ones I esteem so much I think as a style like and they were tall women leggy women and so I think the shows that we're in it's like oh that's our role model it may not be you know I'm trying to think not trying to think of the ballet ones I'm like nope I'm never gonna be that but that looks closer. And then they, they do have that high level. Well, they went through the same thing though. You know, they, um, they transitioned from ballet into musical theater or Broadway or nightclub. And, um, and another teacher at Westside Ballet, Glenn White, who was from Joffrey, he took me aside because I would take his class too. And he said, Anne Reinking went to Joffrey school. And he said, and Robert Joffrey told her, don't do ballet, do Broadway. And he said, and see what happened to her. He said, that's what you should do. Don't do ballet. And I had no intention of doing ballet. I was just taking class, but it was funny. And even Patrick Franz took me aside too. And he was from Paris Opera Ballet. I was taking his classes, which were very difficult. He was another genius. He was a concert pianist and a premier classical dancer at Paris Opera Ballet. His classes were very hard. And I was way at the bottom of those. Those were divas in there. But I still went and he said to me, Stephanie, you maybe you should do contemporary, don't not ballet. You're not going to do ballet. <laughs> I always thought it was funny that they thought I could ever do ballet. I did not have any. That's not what you're you going know, for. I knew damn well, but but it was, but they were trying to steer me, you know, and, and he would watch me and tap with Shirley and, and he would study it because he was such a musician and she was on this other plane. I mean, and he could see the sophistication and the um, difficulty in the sound she was making and somehow I could absorb it from her I would be crying my way to get it but I'd finally get it and do it and then when I did get to Reno you know sort of broke through that piece of glass or whatever that block you know and then I could pick up so how was doing the show because how long did you stay did you say you did a year contract I stayed a year. I saved six thousand dollars when I was there. Um, I and- saved four dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the credit union, the Valley's Credit Union. Um, I love doing the show, but I wanted. I realized when we did Chorus Line, I thought, "Oh, this is what I really want to do." It was so exciting. And Joe Morris took me aside too. He was he was our director, and he said, "You know," he said if I could give anyone in this show their equity card, I would give it to you. And that was so oh. sad. <laughs> Even the term taking you aside, there's something really personal. Yeah. Like how many pe- people, so many people saw that in you and not just say you're not good at ballet. Like, no, there's something else. Cause I, I how important those words are. And a lot of people with a lot of um, ability to, to encourage people don't. And so those people that take the time to take you aside, like that just seems like such a beautiful gift. And if you're oh, hearing over so, and over, like it was so is- kind. Yeah, he was so kind of him and generous because, and he had done Broadway. He and Frank Gregory came in, we came in at the same time. 
And they had worked with Tommy Toon, who I then worked with and I'm still working with um, as a writer. Um, so to, to me, it was like, you know, the voice of God, if they thought I could do it and he had been our director. So those people made such a difference for me. Um, and they were very compassionate and because uh, I didn't know. I mean, I had been told that like my ballet teacher told us that in New York, that we would be nothing, you know, because everybody was so much better than we were. <laughs> That's what she yeah. told us. Every day. <laughs> Man. So how did the Tommy Toon, because I saw my one and only, I think I, I don't know if I, it was on Broadway, right? I don't know if I saw it on tour. It was I think on I saw it on Twiggy. Broadway. I, I, I saw it with Twiggy long ago. I think it was my first, first or second Broadway show I ever saw. So how did you end up doing that? Because that, that's it. The things that people were saying you could do, you actually did it. Well, my friend, I met Fred Booth at MGM and we tapped together. Michael Shepard was my neighbor and he came over to our apartment. I was rooming with Angelina Facino and um, Jillian had gotten me an apartment. She said, you can room with these girls and Stephanie's leaving, you can take her place. So I met Michael Shepard and I told him how much I love tap. And he said, oh, you've got to meet my roommate, Fred Booth. He's really good at tap. So I think I went over there and we started tapping in the kitchen. And then he said, well, bring your shoes tomorrow early and I'll teach you a number. So I went early, he taught me the whole number. And then we went over by Jillian and Adrian's office and he said, let's show them. And remember sometimes everyone would watch, you know, when people were practicing in between shows. So we did the whole number and they went nuts. And I remember thinking, oh my God, you know, we're on to something. Like we had a chemistry. We ended up working a lot together. We did My One and Only together, the national tour. Um, we did the movie Tap together as principal dancers with Gregory Hines. We did the second national tour together. Um, we did a show in Germany that he choreographed. So he was um, a real key player in my career. And again, he was recommending me and telling them, oh, you got to see my partner, Stephanie. So um, I left MGM after a year with my $6,000 and I wanted, my goal was to get into that show and they were going to be in San Francisco. So I stayed with my aunt Mary and I went to class every day, ballet. I took voice lessons and every day I would call them and ask if they were having an audition. I, and the stage manager got so sick of me and he'd be like, <laughs> no, we're not having an audition. Goodbye. And he was a real New Yorker. And I, um, Fred would, I'd say, Fred, they said they're, they don't need anyone. He said, listen, I heard the girls talking. Two girls are leaving. He said, I, they're going to need girls. So um, I, I called, I don't know how many times. It seemed like seven times. And I said, okay, well, then I'm just going to go to New York. And the stage manager said, no, wait, don't go to New York. And then Karen Frenzik, who'd been married to David Merrick, gave her notice. And Debbie Monaghan gave her notice. There were only six girls in the show. So rather than, you know, they had a stack of photos and resumes in New York, but I think it was cheaper to hire locally. So they had an equity and non-equity call at the Golden Gate Theater in San Francisco. And I remember I took the BART and almost got accosted by some crazy guy. You know, it was, it was scary getting there. It was a terrible area. The theater district in San Francisco is horrible, worse now. And um, it was this old theater, you know, with these narrow hallways, really charming. And we went in, I was in equity, but they still, you know, there weren't that many of us. So we went in and we had to step forward and say our name and our age and do a pirouette, like in Chorus Line. And so I said, Stephanie Lawton, 
And the stage manager says, oh, so you're Stephanie Long. (laughs) (laughs) Persistence, but it got you there. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And then I, um, I went home and I got a call and they said, this is, we want you to come back for a call back in front of Tommy Toon. So I went back and I looked around and, and I, it was just me. And I'm like, I thought there'd be like seven other girls and there weren't, there were no other girls. It's just me. And um, I dancing Tommy, for Tommy Toon for Tommy Toon. And they introduced me. He was, he was in the uh, theater. And I remember they said, this is Tommy. I went to shake his hand. And when he stood up, like, he was down in the pit, but he was so tall that he was still taller than me, you know? Is he like six, 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 six seven six, or something? Six. Yeah. And he was so good looking. And I just was like swooning over his, he was so <laughs> beautiful. Um, and it was a really quick audition. And, um, and, and Nikki said to him, she does really nice split leaves. Do you want to see that? And he said, no. And he asked me, he said, Stephanie, are you a healthy person? And I said, yes. And he said, are you a happy person? And I said, yes. And he said, then go upstairs and sign your contract. <gasps> Oh my, I'm, wow. Those, that's beautiful questions that I don't think anyone normally cares about. It was very important. You know, you don't yeah. want that bad apple of someone who's a downer. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. So how did, how was that? Cause you were in one place for a year in Reno, like kind of, you know, you put your roots down a little bit, know you're going to leave, but now you're touring. What was that life like for you? Oh, I loved it. Um, and I cried and cried when I left Reno. I, I, I really, it was hard for me, but I, it was like, I have to do this for my career. Um, but I loved it there and I was so happy there. Um, so touring then this was like, in those days, they custom made your shoes. I went, they, I had flew me to LA to custom make these shoes. And it was, it was like a dream, you know? And, um, and the women in the show were, had much more experience than I did. Like they had worked for Bob Fosse, one had done five productions for Fosse and I was young too. They were all a lot older than I was. I was 21, had my 21st birthday in Reno and they were all from say 33 to 46. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, And I remember one woman, I'm friends with her now, Eileen Casey, she saw me and she kind of, and she was a real hardcore New Yorker and she had done all the Fosse work. She's in all that jazz and Pippin and she looked at me and she goes, babies, they're hiring babies. And I was thinking, oh, <laughs> but, um, and then it was my mo- my mother's birthday. I was sending her a card. We have the same birthday, October 9th. And she asked me in the dressing room, how old's your mother? And I said, 46. And she just was kind of, cause she was 46. And I didn't know. <laughs> so oh my gosh. Just that kind of thing. You know, I had no control over, but they started hiring younger because we were, we were happy and excited just to be in the show. Um, yeah. And those girls, they were more divas. They had, they were used to having roles and their roles had gotten cut down. Um, they kept cutting the girls parts as the mm. show went on, I was told. So, but it was, it was so fun. We went to these beautiful cities, Chicago and Toronto and uh, Orange County. And, um, and we stayed in really nice hotels. We had steamer trunks and um, it was really, and we made so, we had so much money. We made 1500 a week. That's a lot now. It's a lot. I mean, back then that was a lot of money. And I spent most of it. I was <laughs> shopping and I should have invested it, you know, I, um, but I, I fell into that trap like the athletes do where I would study these, you know, Sandy Duncan had done the show. So she came for Tommy's birthday and jumped out of a cake and she was wearing a green leather outfit. So I went out and bought a green leather outfit. You know, I, I was that sort of thing. I bought a watch. I bought, I just really 
went hog wild because I had, you know, all these hundred dollar bills in my wallet. And then the dance captain, Nikki Harris, took me aside and she said, Stephanie, you need to save your money. She said, save your per diem checks. That was like 500. She said, put those in the bank. So I did. Um, but even so, I could have saved a lot more. I had room service every morning. I was so proud of myself. Like, this is a life. And I thought I was going to live that way forever. But there's something so good of that because I hear like how hard you work to get there and you paid your way. So to have this time where you get to like, just enjoy it. Cause I think like I lived in Bermuda and I, I did a show there and like, I think I was telling you, I, we rented a carriage for somebody's birthday party. I got scuba certified, but I go, I don't know if I'll ever come back here. And I mean, we were going on parties on yachts. So you have to have a nice dress. And, but I go, I, I don't regret any dime that I spent there. I should have saved, but then I saved it. I mean, I made it later. I mean, I'm, I think as artists, we were talking about, we don't, <laughs> it's a hard, it's a short career. Like, damn it. I wish I had saved. But for some of that, because I'd also worked really young, I always was counting my pennies. I had to pay from a lot of my own stuff. So when I got to spend it, I didn't go totally nuts for 25 years. I did it for nine months of my life. And I, it was like, my photo album has great photos photos. I didn't have any money, but look what I did. So I don't know. I just want to celebrate because it seems like a really wonderful thing for you to get to have the freedom because you've worked so damn hard it was, to get it was to play. It was a dream to come true, you know, and it was way beyond what I knew. Um, we had the best conductor, you know, we, we had the best of the best and the dancers were so good and um, the costumes were so beautiful. These were Tony award-winning you know, costumes and choreographers and directors. And Tommy did everything, you know, he's a director, choreographer and star. And um, so just getting to watch those people uh, was really thrilling. You've had amazing people around you to watch, to really, cause it's not just being taught. It's like what you catch and you're an observant person, obviously, because some people could have those people working right next to them and not take advantage to really learn by just watching them. Well, I, um, now that I'm older, I understand because now I'm the age some of those people were, you know, and like, I remember when Carol Channing came in the show, I was so excited by her, her electricity and her, the way she made you feel. And I remember I was a robot at the time. And when she would walk by, I would always wave at her, you know, we were all lined up, ready to go. And she would wave, you know, and then she came up to me one time. She goes, what is your name? And I said, Stephanie, and she goes, what? And I said, Stephanie, and she goes, Stephanie, oh. And then she would look for me and say, um, hi, Stephanie. And she like took an interest in me too. Uh, Cause I would go watch her before she would go on. She would be doing her whole act. She had that, that set that they would wheel out and she was up on top of the stairs 20 minutes before her entrance doing her whole act. And, um, I didn't really know what she was doing because I didn't have any acting training, but she was, she was rehearsing and she, we would run into each other sometimes and she would act like I was the most, she could make you feel like the most important person in the world. And she'd always be like, Stephanie, you know, like she was so happy to see me. And one time we were even on the same flight. I was flying back to LA for a 42nd street audition and she was a couple rows behind me on her day off. She was going back to LA. And I said, hi, Carol. I said, I'm Stephanie, you know, from, and she goes, oh, Stephanie. Oh, Howard, look, Stephanie's here. And, and he was looking at her like big deal. You know, that was her <laughs> husband at the time, but, but she just was so sweet. And even in chorus line, she, she came and saw chorus line and I had put in my bio that I was 
going to be doing 42nd Street because they had offered me the show and then they, they hired internally, but I eventually got to do the, the European company open in Vienna. Ooh. And Carol came up after seeing Chorus Line, which was so nice of her to come see the show. And she said, Stephanie, I, I love the show and I'm going to come see you in 42nd Street. You know, like she would act like she was going to follow you. Okay, that's the best Carol Channing impersonation I've ever heard. <laughs> well, it's I, wonderful. I love- well, it's wonderful that it's your name that you get to say with Carol Channing. Wow. So how long did you do the tours? Because I'm curious when you went back to Hello Hollywood, hello, because you were doing that life and then to go back to Reno, which you cried when you left. So it feels like you kind of get to do the best of both in these transitions. Well, when I came back, you know, the bug had bit. I had done this Broadway tour and actually I was very upset because Fran and Barry Weisler, the producers had told us we're closing now, but we're going to take the show out again and we want all of you to come. So I, uh, Fred and I, our plan, we both went back because um, we needed work and money and Jillian hired us both back, God bless her. And uh, then they called everybody to go back on tour and they didn't call me. And I was oh. so hurt because I thought, but they, they said we were all gonna go back and all my friends had gotten the call. So I would go in and do the whole show the, my one and only show that hadn't rehired me every night before the MGM show, I would do sing every song, do every dance. And um, Fred kept saying, did they call you? And I said, no, they don't. And I found out later that they, they hired Stephanie Zimbalist and they put all the pictures out and I looked too much like Stephanie Zimbalist. So they, oh man, I, it's not I, a lot of rehired. I, I ended up going because so I, when I came back to MGM, I loved, you know, the um, Suzanne Summers act and everything. But I, I, I remember uh, my friend Valerie saying, you're so serious. Cause I was always practicing. I was like, you know, I was upset. They didn't hire me back. And I had done the same thing happened with David Chavez. He hired everyone back, but me. And I was like, God, what did I do? You know, what, what went wrong? But actually, I don't know if I should say this, but David had invited me out one time and I was afraid to go because I did, I never wanted, I wasn't interested. And I thought it's very stupid to date Juliet's ex-boyfriend. And I liked him as a choreographer. I was a lot younger than he was too. I mean, like, especially at, at, at that age at 20. So I just didn't go. And then he didn't hire me. So, you know, and th- those kind of things can happen. Like, cause a mm-hmm. lot of girls, they see, think it's a compliment, but I was the kind of girl that those things happened with me where men would invite me that were much older. And like Lee Majors invited me to his house when I was 17, 18. And he was like 50 for a party. And I didn't go. Cause I'm like, even at 18, why is he inviting an 18 year old? And I was afraid cause they were doing cocaine. I was doing a movie with them. And I thought, I don't want to get mixed up in that. And what if I can't get away? What if he thinks, because these women are falling all over these men. Right. Yeah. That's an opportunity for their next thing. Good for you though. I never um, slept my way to the top or, you know, that that's what's being portrayed in the media now that we all, you know, were hired for those reasons, but I never had those problems because I had a sense of don't, this guy's not really interested in you, you know, he's going to be one of many. Yeah. too old for you and if there you know there were drugs going on and I never did drugs and and because of being around my mother I knew you know how messy that was and how chaotic so I had a good vi- a good uh, protection system 
but it costs me sometimes. It costs me work. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what, what, how long did you work professional? Cause I always am interested, like why we stop, you know, like there's different things that we believe, or it's just time or our body says you're done. Well, for me, I couldn't get hired. Um, I was, I bought my house when I was 33 and that changed things because, you know, you can't really go traveling around. So I remember I, um, I was teaching. And so I thought, I guess I'm going to teach full time now. And then my friend, Tim Albrecht called me and said, Tommy Tune and Sandy Duncan are doing a show Fifth Avenue theater in Seattle and they need one more girl. And, um, he's, he recommended me. So I was like, Oh my God, you know, to, to be able to do a show at 33 and I hadn't worked for Tommy in years and the stage manager called me and I wasn't making much money teaching. And I remember thinking, how am I going to, pay for a last minute ticket to New York, you know, and the stage manager told me the details. And I said, well, when, when is the audition? He said, this is a job offer. And I was like, oh, he said, rehearsal start such and such, you know, and they're in New York. And um, so I was like, wow. So it was in, and I could have gained, you know, 30 pounds, but um, <laughs> they, they just knew that I'd still be, as I was still in shape and dancing. And that was my last show. Um, at 33. Oh and my then, gosh. I've heard with Tommy too. And I've heard this from a few people. If he likes you, he really likes you. And oh yeah. He has a certain eye for the kind of females he hires and what he wants. And so you got to be asked back with an audition like that. That says a lot for both of you. Oh, it was such a gift because I had been sitting there crying. I was doing all this Louise Hay work and I was saying, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to change. And I was really miserable about I can't remember I was teaching for a woman that I didn't resonate with and and she was just doing things that were unscrupulous money wise there were a lot of times I had trouble getting paid when I was teaching and I they'd pay you once a month and then wouldn't come up with the money and my bills were due and that was really hard because you really work so hard as a dance teacher yeah um so it it was a relief because with Tommy that was never an issue you know it was first class and um didn't have to worry about getting paid and it was an equity contract. So, and I was hired as a singer for that show, which was really a big deal to me to get a singer's contract. So, um, and then there was a lot of tap in it and I got to dance right next to Sandy Duncan. So there again, I got to be right by the star, you know, like um, that was sort of my gift in my career was I worked with all these amazing stars and they, um, they would give me that placement, you know, as sort of the, front and center girl right off the star's shoulder where all the energy was and the icon all the photos <laughs> and, and just to be near them it was it was such a thrill and I got to do that with Suzanne she she um told the dance captain because I was just a swing in Suzanne Summers and they were going to film the tv special and I didn't expect to be in it and then it turns out she was watching the tapes and I would swing people out every night because I'd say does anyone not want to do Suzanne's actually, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, you can do it, Stephanie. So I was on every night in a different spot and she had been watching the tapes. So when they did the TV special, they um, they gave me a spot. They took out the, my friend who I had recommended and put me in and then they put me right next to Suzanne. So that happened a lot. Um, it happened with Ben Vereen when I was 17. He, he put me, to, he picked two girls right off his shoulder. And so I, that always was such a, you know, 
thrill and compliment because I looked up to these people so much. But I think too, I never expected it, you know, because I didn't have, um, being at MGM, there's no way I was going to be a principal, but I loved watching the principals and I would dream of being a principal, but I knew I was too short and I wouldn't go topless anyway. Um, but I never expected those things. You know, I think that's the difference than when people um, do expect it. Yeah. When you were doing that last show at the Fifth Avenue, did you have a sense that it might be your last or you might be winding down? Um, I think I was surprised to get it in the first place at 33 because I'd already kind of decided I was going to start teaching. And, um, but then, then when I went to the Hello Hollywood reunion at age 38, I had a breakdown kind of not severe, but I, when I got on that stage and Fred Booth had since died at 32, I hadn't really grieved the loss, but once I was there, I saw Fred everywhere and I just was crying and crying because it seems so weird to be there without him. And I realized I missed dancing. And I, um, I really was a mess being on that stage. So there was a lot of repressed pain. Um, so I went back to ballet class and then I got on this whole kick of doing Russian ballet for years until I was 47, like 10 years taking from these Russian masters. And I started improving phenomenally and doing things I could never do when I was professional, like, you know, variations on point and by pirouettes. And it's something about that Baganova training just ignited me. So even though I wasn't performing, I was so excited to be in class every day and so excited to go teach it to my girls who were also skyrocketing because I was, you know, getting this great training from these coaches from Murata Kaev and um, Alekhanishvili from Debbie Allen's. And I would go every day. I mean, I was obsessed. So even though I wasn't performing, I was still flying high with my dancing until I wore away all the cartilage and could dance no more. <laughs> oh my gosh. There's something too with wisdom. You know, we may not have the facility we had in our twenties, but there's something of maybe being more present in your body or just life that if we could take what we have in our, you know, <laughs> later years with a body facility, but I've, I've heard of a lot of people getting better. Cause maybe, maybe you let go of some, like I had to get here. You're just taking it for the love of taking class, but it's so beautiful. Like here, there's improvement in your body and your technique later on. Cause that's some people, they just start watching. Oh, I can't do this anymore. I used to be able to do this. Now I can't do this. It's really depressing, but to say I'm getting better. It was like, that's a whole different journey for the dance ego in the body. That's really beautiful. Well, you know, one of the teachers at Westside, I remember her saying to me, Francine Kessler, and she had danced with Ballet West, she said, it's 99% mental dancing. And as I got older, and once I had gotten into singing and acting, I would pretend when I went to ballet, I would pretend I was Sasha Cohen at an, as an older dancer. I would pretend, you know, that I was these, I would study the videotapes of the Russian stars and pretend I was them. And I remember I went and took from Patrick Franz and he said to me, Stephanie, he said, because I was, you know, like 40 years old at this time or in my 40s, he said, you look like a 16-year-old girl. And he just shook his head. But they were playing the music from Giselle and I pretended I had her costume. I pretended I was the, and, and uh, when you really do that and, and you lock into that, um, people, there's an illusion. So I started to get the hang of it. It's too bad I didn't understand all that when I was 
in my 30s because I had no respect for acting. I had no acting training or interest. And it's so important. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I went to the Lido, uh, the reunion, the Bluebell reunion at in Paris a couple years ago, signed up for that class on the Lido stage. They could only have 20 and there's 300 people at the reunion, but I signed up right away. I've had two re replacements. I was having trouble going up and down my two steps into my house. It's like, I don't know if I can do this, but there was something like, I forgot how old I was. Like, I felt like I was 20 again. And by the end I was running up and down the stairs I, because when you're like, Oh, I'm old or this hurts. So you don't do it. And I somehow felt the age I was of feeling those lights and that like, Oh, your body remembers that. But it was with the, I think with the gratitude I have at 61, then I was 59 in that 20 year old moment, like, oh, if these two could live together, even for a few moments a day of like the appreciation for what you have and without the body aches and the hips falling out of the sockets. It's just, it's, I think if you get it, it's a wonderful gift, like to have that longevity with wisdom and experience. It's, it's amazing. Cause some people just, it hurts. And they just don't want to do it anymore. Or it's, or it's emotional. Like, like you said, being back at the MGM stage, it's makes you want to cry. Like there's a longing, there's a grief of like, we couldn't do that forever. I just, I, I love how you said that. Cause it's like, there is so much in the process of being done as a dancer, whatever that means. And to find out, wait, this can go on by just taking class. I can dance in my house. I can still, I'm still a dancer. Cause I think if we're not getting paid, we stop saying we're a dancer. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, um, the identity, because it can become your total identity. And if you are in pain, which I was, um, and your body starts to crumble and you don't have anything else, uh, it can be devastating. So for me, when I um, found out that my hips, I had gone to a reunion for my one and only in New York, and I went to Jack Lee's for a vocal coaching session Jack Lee was one of the top musical directors on Broadway. And the fact that he coached me was, was huge. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you quickly why. I, um, there was a moment when we did the show with Tommy and Sandy, and it was awkward because Jack had been the musical director and then new musical director came in, Michael Biagi, who stayed with Tommy for 30 years. And something awkward happened in the green room and I overheard it. And I could see that Jack was upset. And I wished I hadn't been there. You know, I just happened to be pouring a cup of coffee. And it wasn't huge, but I knew it hurt him. So I said, well, all I remember, Jack, is that when we were on tour, I would always go down early to see what you were wearing because you were always so beautifully dressed to go to the um, airport. And, and um, it looked like your clothes had been tailored. And I always wanted to see what you were going to wear. And he looked at me like, with so much appreciation and love. And then we became friends. And um, I mean, this is a guy that conducted for Angela Lansbury and all these huge stars. But um, that's when I learned too, you know, the tact is important and to not get involved in gossip or repeating things or, you know, he knew I wasn't gonna go and tell everybody um, so-and-so said this or so-and-so said that. And I think that trust is critical in show business. Um, and so we kept in touch and he said to me, when I went and did this vocal coaching session, I was limping up eighth Avenue. He, uh, he said, you know, I think you can fix that with physical therapy. Um, I had to have two hip replacements, but he said, and I'm doing a show, I'm doing a show about Liberace and it's, we need older dancers who sing. 
And um, he told me which songs to sing. He said, sing this. He said, from Kiss Me Kate and sing this. And um, and I was thrilled, like older dancers who sing, you know, and I said, but, you know, I couldn't even put my shoe on. And he said, here, sit down, put your shoe on sitting down, which helped. And then I, I went and had the hip x-ray because I wanted to work with him again. He ended up dying um, oh. and we didn't get to do the show, but because of him, I, um, I was able to face the music that I had no cartilage. And I sent him an email and said, I have to get my hips replaced and I need this much time to recover. Does that work into your schedule? And he wrote right back. He said, Sandy Duncan is here. She says, hello. Yes, it works in perfectly. But, it, you know, that that got me through the surgery because I was terrified to go. I'd never been in the hospital. I'd never done any of those things. But I had that goal. And then, you know, it didn't happen. So I didn't do another show. But you never know. They they do. They are using women in movies now that are older. I mean, Anne Margaret's in a new movie. And our generation, we like to see those people. So oh my gosh. I think the the showgirls and the Kelly boys would be great on camera playing our age. That was um, Jelana Loeffler, who worked with Tommy Toon as well, who was yes. in Hello Hollywood. She was just in the prom because they wanted older dancers. And she looks amazing. So I don't want to see a 20-year-old trying to look like a 50-year-old or whatever. So I, would, I love the musical, but I love going like, oh, my gosh, there's someone close to my age is still doing it so it's it's encouraging and also she knew how to I mean she was amazing still we don't yeah. have to kick our face anymore we don't have to drop into the splits in the can can we can just walk and like oh yeah, yeah no, we, we got I, that down yeah I saw Jelana in uh Will Rogers and I remember noticing what a great actress she was just she was just sitting watching the dog act but her face and her expression and her beauty her radiance uh, she always had that because uh, I used to go watch the show at MGM a lot and pick out people. And she was one of the people I always picked out and would watch her the whole show to see what she was doing. You know, um, oh, she's so great on stage. But uh, yeah, I mean, you never know. I don't I don't really see. I mean, I'm open to that. But I, I think I told you earlier, I have my dog here. Sorry, she's kind of being noisy. Um <laughs> I, I've gotten really into investing and I've sort of gone in a different chapter. Uh, I love the stock market now. I love real estate and land and very focused on having a comfortable and um, happy retirement because I saw so many dancers who didn't prepare become destitute. And so I started really using my business side to study um, personal finance and um, and I really love a stock market. I think a lot of dancers would be very good in those two areas. And uh, it doesn't mean you're not a dancer, but I don't even really miss it now. It's funny. I do yoga every night. I do Pilates and walk and hike and bike, but I'm not in pain anymore. And that makes all the difference. Oh man. I still, I was shaking my head all the way through. Just, yeah. Is there something maybe that you don't have to work as hard now that you get to just enjoy like you're still working hard. You're still doing Pilates and yoga and hiking. That's like, that's still working, but maybe you've worked so hard that you can just like take, take the pressure off a little bit and just be, I'm really, really in awe of your story of how hard work, but also just your humility. Like you've got some great experiences and the different wonderful people you've worked with, but I love how driven, but also how humble. And um, I just, every story I hear, I get really excited because they're all so different and everybody's so unique. Like some people, 
you know, the, the show, the, you know, but I don't know that many people that were studying everything that was happening on stage. Like that's just a different brain. And so it's really fun to go, wait, we were in the same show. You had a very different experience. We could be doing the same track and have a very different experience in those shows. Well, you know, I was so aware of, these are all the people that are better than I am. And I always tried to be around people that was, that were better than I was. And I, I was so fortunate to be around all those celebrities and they have an aura, you know, and, um, and I was really, I really looked up to those principal dancers. Um, and I remember too, I was very worried about Joni Keller because she was in so much pain. And I, I remember asking Michael Colson, well, what's wrong? You know, like he said, she has arthritis. You should have seen her when she was first show first open. And then when I had arthritis, I flashed back because now I was the one grimacing and, you know, in the way it just strikes you. And it was so sad because when I was in the show, she started phasing out and they say the Kellers are out because she's just in such pain and on what she did for all those years. So, you know, kind of taught me. And I remember some of the other dancers too were in pain and I could tell, and I didn't understand why. And until I got to be their age and then boy, did I understand. There's definitely different, re- I'm a massage therapist and I didn't really understand pain because I really never had an injury. And so when I had hip pain, I went, oh man, I, under- I have more empathy. Cause I was just like, well, just stretch more or just do whatever. I mean, I just really didn't understand like how debilitating. And I think that's hard when you still have the passion to dance, but your body is saying, no, you're this. Yeah. Cause you know, to be in so much pain to just get through isn't a very good existence. Well, you know, um, what I've learned as I'm getting older is my brother died at 49. He had a stroke. So it it showed me you can be over like that, you know? And um, so I feel rather than try to look young or look in the rearview mirror, I used to do this. I used to do that. Look forward, you know, and have, um, where am I going? What, where do I want to be in 20 years, 30 years? And to, um, I worked with these beautiful women in Europe who they didn't try to look young and they were on stage at 50 and they had gray hair and a you know French twist like Jillian. Um, they never were trying to look young because that is, is embarrassing. You know, when people dress yeah. in the wrong clothes and show too much, but if you just think of these and Julia Prowse was so elegant, you know, so I got to be around these women and I feel like it's a gift to live a long life. We're supposed to look older our bodies are supposed to change just like we go through puberty and we can't wait to have our period. We can't wait to have sex, all this stuff. If we have that attitude about getting older instead of the reverse and trying to use Botox and take hormones and all these things people do. And if we had the same outlook as a child who, who can't wait to go to school, I think we would look and feel better. That's a good way to end. I was, I told you we might do a question at the end. And sometimes the guest will say something. I'm like, we can't top that. That was so good. That was like really great wisdom because it is when you're judged for your beauty to be in these shows, your weight, your body, your breast, your, your butt, you know, like everything when that's not, we don't have that same standard, but we probably are still trying to hold ourselves to that. Like, but I used to have a flat stomach. I'm like, no, I'm 61. I've eaten some delicious food. I've traveled. So I think it's a hard thing for most women to let go. But I think in, in our business, maybe it's a little bit harder, but I love the grace that you gave that because I love being 61 because I've lived a lot of life and I've let go of a lot of things that used to, you know, keep my head in a spin and I'm 40, but 
I love how graciously, gracefully and graciously you're doing that. So I think that's a good way to end. Cause I know we could probably do seven more hours of your story because there were so many things I didn't get to. I'm like, that's okay. We'll do part two. But Stephanie, thank you so much. You, you, you gave so much of your story, but I felt like you gave us a lot of things that are like inspirational and make us ponder a little bit. And, uh, thank you. Thank, oh, thank you, Sherry. I loved it. And come visit me on your tour. Come up to Wrightwood. Where is that? Wrightwood, California. It's up in the mountains. Um, it's on the way to Vegas, uh, off the 138, the um, Pear Blossom Highway, if you take the back way towards Victorville. And um, it's a really pretty mountain town, kind of like Truckee or well, what oh my Truckee used to be. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know we're, I'm doing Reno and I'm picking up Athena, who has a podcast as well. Then we're doing Vegas and then we're going L.A. And then I'm going Oakland. But who knows? <laughs> but yeah. that's why I, I want to do face to face. And if it's not this one, you know, maybe it'd be a reunion. But now that I've done these interviews, I'm like, well, I want to hang out with Stephanie. I want to just oh, like have invited. a four hour and see people's homes and see you know, how life continues, even after we might think it's ending when we're done with our career, but it's just so beautiful to hear people thriving. Well, I think you can take your same talent and um, that you had as a dancer and put it in, you have other talents. We all have several different talents and you tap into those, whatever they are, and then you'll be happy because you're creating. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's the big part. Keep that creative heart alive in any way. So thank you. Stay well. And I will see you in some form or another. And then I'm excited to post your photos and like let everybody see all your beautiful dance photos and even current ones too. We oh, want to make sure people know that we are, we are not 20 and we're proud of it. <laughs> okay. Well, I will, I will um, be excited to share this with everyone. So thank you for doing this. Thank you, Sherry. Bye. Bye. <laughs>